Welcome to Stuff We Love Podcast. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Stuff We Love Podcast. For this episode, Scott and I will discuss the brand new Beatles box set released in honor of the legendary album Abbey Road's 50th anniversary. As always, we will conclude with our popular Stuff We Love segment. Let's meet the hosts. I'm Dan. And I'm Scott. And you're listening to the Stuff We Love Podcast. Dan, how are you this evening? I'm doing well, doing well. Um, would have been a lot better if the Yankees won last night, but what can yes. we do about that? Yeah, so. so. On this podcast, two upset Yankees fans. Yes. <laughs> this podcast would not have been recorded tonight if there was a Game 7. Yes, there would have been. this would have been recorded at another time. We would have both been watching Game 7 right now. But uh, alas, we are not. Um, World Series is going to be uh, the Nationals and the Astros. Um, not sure how high the ratings are going to be on that one, but uh, <laughs> but it is what it is. And to make matters worse, not only did the Yankees get eliminated last night in heartbreaking fashion, but the Giants lost today in a pitiful display against the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, the Giants lost, which was um, awful. Um, but but you know we could all uh, in New York uh, we could all take uh, pride in the fact that last week. Uh, the Cowboys lost to the Jets, and no one saw that coming. So that was fun to watch. That is true. Uh, that yeah, is true. It's fun it's, to see all the sad Cowboys fans uh, last week. <laughs> by the time you all are listening to this podcast, we will know the results of Jets Patriots tomorrow night. <laughs> right. So. We, yes. Yeah. So. And we are here tonight, as Dan mentioned in the introduction, to talk about the recently released box set commemorating the 50th anniversary of Abbey Road, which is one of the greatest albums of all time, one of the most legendary Beatles albums of all time for sure. And this was a highly anticipated release. Uh, Dan, let me ask you this as we get underway tonight. This is basically the third box set that the Beatles have released in commemoration of certain albums. First, it was Sgt. Pepper's Mm -hmm. for that 50th anniversary, then the White Album for the 50th of that album, and now Abbey Road. I, I want to ask if, at this point, are you as excited for each new Beatles release as you were maybe when you were younger or are you sort of used to it by now and looking forward to it? Of course we look forward to this stuff, but does it ever get a little bit repetitive to you? That's what I want to begin with by discussing tonight. Um, I think it depends on the release. Some uh, I get more excited about than others. I think it depends on what's going to, uh, or what could possibly come out alongside the release. So we know we're getting these box sets and we know they're going into the vaults and calling the treasure trove for things that we haven't heard. Um, and I think depending on the release, um, that for me will, is what's going to cause the excitement. For Pepper to, to hear um, them basically working on Pepper in the studio, that was pretty exciting for me to get to hear. We were going to get to hear these songs um, as they were in the gestation process and went from you know, they're the, the first uh, run throughs of them to their final, how they ended up on the album, their final incarnation and hearing that progression to me was going to be exciting. Mm-hmm. So I, I was looking forward to that. The white album, we know that there was so much, uh, so many unreleased tracks and the Escher demos in their, in their uh, complete uh, form. Uh, so that was exciting. Um, Abbey Road, I was looking forward to it, but I wasn't as excited mm-hmm. because I knew that, what was there as far as bonus material was limited because of the nature in which they recorded the went about recording the album. So we didn't have as much that we knew was coming out uh, with that. Um, where Let It Be, um, which I'm, I'm sure we're going to get a 50th anniversary uh, box set for Let It Be, 
Um, I mean, there's so much audio that exists of things that they were working on for that, that um, there's an endless possibilities of what we're going to, what we're going to hear that we've never heard before right. uh, coming from those sessions. So that one I'm really excited for. So um, yeah, it all depends on, on what um, the possibilities hold for, for the, the, the set. And of course this Abbey Road box set contained a remix of the album, which was worked on by Giles Martin, just like the previous albums that had the 50th anniversary releases. And I, I think one of the things that maybe tempered my expectations for this as well is because the versions of Abbey Road that had already been released, they sound so good. They're such high quality already. I was skeptical about whether or not the remix would add that much to it. And uh, we'll get into in a moment what exactly our thoughts are on the remix of the album. But Sgt. Pepper's, I saw a big change in the album, particularly on the drums and bass. Same thing for the White Album, more on the drums and the bass. Uh, And I I looked at those albums in a new light after listening to the remixes. Uh, I personally, I don't know about you, Dan, but I have not really gone back that much to the White Album outtakes. I haven't listened to them as much as the Pepper outtakes from that 50th box set for reasons I, I, I can't answer. I don't, I don't know why that is. Uh, maybe it's just there's a million things to listen to and I mm-hmm. sort of direct my Beatles listening elsewhere. But uh, with the Abbey Road outtakes, one of the things I had heard in advance of the release of this collection, which I do happen to agree with, is that the outtakes are, for lack of a better word, more focused in a way. They, they're less kind of meandering. They're more precise. Uh, do you notice that on these outtakes that come with the Abbey Road box set? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think that there was a real effort put into when they went into the studio to record this to minimize anything that would cause any turmoil or disagreement or argument within the band while they were creating the album, uh, while they were in the studio working. I, I mean, we know that there was a lot of uh, disharmony going on outside of the studio mm-hmm. as far as business uh, discussions and relations were, were going. But um, within the studio, after coming off of um, the Let It Be sessions, which were which are notorious for being um, very tense and, um, and full of uh, disagreements and arguments, uh, they wanted to have a, a more peaceful go at it in the studio to create the Abbey Road album. So mm-hmm. um, I think they, you know, from what we've read and been told they, they purposefully um, came into the recording with having these numbers rehearsed beforehand and knowing what they wanted to do and how they wanted it to sound and who was going to be doing what and what the arrangements were going to be. Um, so we're hearing a more, you know, more focused run throughs of these songs. Right. So they're a lot tighter than what we heard um, on Pepper and what we heard on um, uh, the White Album bonus material. Um, because they've pretty much been worked out already, and it's just they're perfecting them. Dan, my friend, let's begin by getting into the new release. Uh, As I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, the box set does contain a remix of Abbey Road. For me, there's two particular tracks that when I was listening to it, well, maybe more than two, but two that I would like to mention to begin our discussion now and get your thoughts on the remix of the album. So, Overall, I think the remixes on Sgt. Pepper's and the White Album were a bit more, led to a bit more of a pronounced set of differences. In other words, we could sit down and listen to those remixes and say, oh yeah, and this track and this track and notice all these differences. With Abbey Road, it's not necessarily as pronounced because of the fine sounds of the album to begin with and the fact that not a lot of tuning had to be done. But I would say that the harmonies in B-Cost 
which from what I understand, they did do a lot of work on on the remix. Sounded fuller. The harmonies sounded more Beach Boys-esque in a way, if that's possible. And also the harmonies in Oh Darling. When you listen to Oh Darling, Paul's got the lead vocal. It's one of his best vocals, in my opinion. And the other members of the group are singing background harmony, kind of doing this doo-wop-ish sound like you would hear in a 50s track. And I think they raise the volume on those background harmonies to make that throwback sound a bit more pronounced. Those were two changes that stood out to me right off the bat. A lot of people have also commented on Come Together, the remix, you're able to hear some extra dialogue that you couldn't hear before, which is true. Uh, I, I did notice that as well, I guess, towards the end of the track. But overall, while it's a solid release and will probably be my go-to version of Abbey Road that I listen to now and in the future, I don't think the remix is as stunningly different as Sgt. Pepper's was in the White Album was. What are your thoughts on the remix of Abbey Road, Dan? Um, I agree. I think that there's tracks where you really do hear um, some new tidbits emerging from the mix, and then there's others where it kind of sounds the same um, as you know the, the what we're used to. Right. Um, and and I, I think I would agree. I think it's because it was so polished as a production. It's, it's a very... Um, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's a very clean um, sounding album. Um, there's not a lot of imperfections in it. And so production wise. So it didn't benefit from some of the tweaking that the mixes for Sgt. Pepper and White Album did. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's that's very true, especially um, songs like Here Comes the Sun, Octopus's Garden, uh, Something. Um, you don't really hear a lot of difference in the track although i feel like something you can you can hear a little the drums a little bit better yes um you could always hear the bass very well in that in in that song in that mix um and thankfully too because i think it's one of the the best bass lines paul ever recorded uh the bass line to something is just sublime i agree um, with that 100%. yeah it's 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 a um incredible incredible bass work on that it's why um paul is one of the best rock bassists um I think ever to play. And if people don't think that um, go on YouTube and find an isolated version of the something baseline and just listen to it and you'll get a new appreciation for Paul's playing. Uh, But I do agree that you do hear um, some differences in the mix and other songs Mm -hmm. Um, come together. Sounds fuller, sounds stronger um, to me. You can hear a difference too in the vocals and the fade out. So there's a yes. difference in what's happening there as 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 uh, John is ad-libbing on the fade. Oh, darling, hear, mm-hmm. the, the, hearing the backing vocals is great. And I, I'd always um, known that there was an issue with that. Um, I, When we were in high school back in the day, um, I had taken out a book by Ian McDonald called Revolution in the Head. Right. And uh, he basically breaks down every Beatles track in the book and discusses um, basically gives a musical analysis of the track and a little bit of his, I guess, uh, critique of, of each track. And one of the things that he wrote in the entry for Oh Darling is that there are really excellent fifties doo-wop style backing vocals in the mix that probably are the best because at the time, there were a few albums being released that kind of harkened back to the 50s sound. One of them uh, released, this, I think, 68, 69, was uh, Frank Zappa and the Mothers Cruising with Ruben and the Jets. Um, was kind of this homage to the 1950s 
and Zappa had a few tracks on the Freak Out album um, that were these 50s kind of doo wops uh, uh, tributes slash parodies, uh, like um, um, You Didn't Try to Call Me, Go Cry on Somebody Else's Shoulder, and uh, how the backing vocals, the doo-wop backing vocals in Our Darling were far superior to any of the the work that any other group that was trying, putting out these kind of little 50s tributes, you know, these Shauna-esque 50s tributes. Right. <laughs> um, far superior than what they were doing but you couldn't hear it because it's buried in the mix Mm -hmm. and questioning you know george martin's um judgment and keeping those vocals so buried so deep in the mix Uh, well now we can hear them i don't know if they are to that level of oh like mind-blowing wow listen to those harmonies but um they make they they make the song sound more authentic yes uh, more authentic representation of a 1950s track um, which I think is what Paul was going for. So um, it kind of breathes a new life into the song for me. I, I I love that analysis. I actually never read that book, Revolution in the Head, although I know it's often cited by Beatles fans as a great book to read. So yeah. I feel like I uh, wasn't talking crazy then when I was talking, no. when I mentioned this, this 50s throwback sound. No, definitely not. And um, And you're right about Because as well. I mean, you can hear the vocals, which to me is that's the song. Um, it's not any of the instrumentation in it. The Moog uh, uh, pieces in that can be a little grating at times. It's probably the only part of Abbey Road that to me is a little, the only part that to me I, I, I would forward past if I could mm. is just um, the Moog solo in Because. It's a little um, almost like a um, Mr. Moonlight organ solo-y for me. Right. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's but, true. Uh, yeah, but, but the vocals are incredible. And I think we got a taste of that when um, the the Love soundtrack from Cirque du Soleil came out and they removed the backing track. Right. And we just hear their vocals. So we are now going to turn our attention to the outtakes that are part of the 50th anniversary collection for Abbey Road. Uh, Dan, let me begin this part of our discussion by asking you to give me a couple of highlights on the outtakes, things that stood out to you. And I'm not just actually really talking about outtakes in the traditional sense. But, for example, some of the tracks on there feature, uh, for example, there's something just the string version, uh, mm-hmm. anything that's not part of the remix of the album. What are some highlight tracks for you from that? I love the Trident Studios take of I Want You, She's So Heavy. It's the first um, track on the uh, the outtakes CDs, not just because of, of the sound, because I feel like it sounds incredible. Um, you really get to hear some riffing, some awesome riffing by Billy Preston. Billy Preston uh, joins them in the studio on that on organ. Right. And uh, he's more animated in this take than he is on what we hear on the final recording. So he's actually doing some, uh, a little bit of soloing um, in the long instrumental breaks, which is really cool to hear. Um, John's doing a guide vocal on it. That's a little bit rougher than what we hear in the final polished vocal version. Um, Kind of gives us a, a little bit of foreshadowing to what we would hear on the the uh, first uh, Plastic Ono Band album, kind of that rougher vocal style. But uh, but the 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 dialogue before it is yes. is great. Can you uh, tell the audience what that's about? Because I, I love that. So uh, if anyone's ever uh, been to to London, if you if you do get to go, um, you can take a, a Beatles tour, um, which is excellent. Uh, when I went, I went on it. It was a fantastic tour, um, but they'll take you by Trident Studios. And, and Trident Studios is in the middle of the city, 
like in the middle of a neighborhood. It's all buildings around it. There's some residences around it. It's like right there. So it's not like Abbey Road, which is kind of set off in St. John's Wood. Um, this is like right smack in the middle of the city. The Beatles are running through I Want You, She's So Heavy, and it's a loud track. And basically, uh, uh, someone comes in to tell them that there's been a, uh, a complaint lodged, <laughs> um, that they're being too noisy, and requests if they could turn it down uh, and, and maybe play a little bit quieter. There's a you know, great moment of... Um, you know, like John asking, you know, well, well, who, who's, who's, who complained? And there's so well, someone, someone, you know, living around here, residents. And um, you hear, I think it's Paul in the back makes a crack, like, well, that's what they get for buying a property in such a lousy neighborhood or something it's like true. that. And then John says, well, okay, we'll do it one more loud. And then after that, we'll be soft. And, you know, this is our last chance to be loud. And it's, 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 it's just an incredible piece of dialogue. It's one of my favorite parts hear. of the outtake collection here. Yeah, it's great. And um, and not just because you hear them, you hear kind of the humor, the craziness of, you know, the probably the, the greatest band in the world and the most influential band in the world. And definitely at that time, the, you know, most popular band around uh, <laughs> being asked to turn down because they were too loud. Right. Can't imagine doing that. They were people, uh, you know, uh, that lived around there. And then how they're able to just, you know, the conversation stops and it's right into the song. It's seamless. Right. It's like you get interrupted doing work and okay, I'm going to go back to work now. Right. You know, it's just the songs there and it's really, it's really cool to hear. Yeah. No, I love um, that. Yeah. That's one of my favorite, um, favorite tracks. The take of come together as well. You get that too. Where John's kind of complaining about not being able to get the song, you know, not being able to get the feel and, um, he's unhappy with his performance and, you know, you kind of hear him talking about that before, uh, they start and then he kind of cuts it off and basically complains about how he's going to lose it at some point. Right. right <laughs> so it's of cool. It's cool to hear those little, uh, bits of dialogue, um, as they're, as they're rehearsing. Uh, I was on vacation this summer, as you know, Dan, in Walt Disney world, when the first tracks from this collection started to come out officially, and what the Beatles did was they released the remix of something, they released the strings-only version of something, and then the outtake of something, which I guess is the studio demo that appears on the collection. And I thought it was great. Normally when I'm on vacation, I kind of disassociate myself from the real mm-hmm. world and just focus on the trip. But here I had to listen. And when I heard the strings-only version of something, my jaw dropped. It was absolutely mind-blowing. It was, it was gorgeous. Uh, of course, the strings have always been very prominent even in the officially released mix for app for that track something. Uh, but here I just thought hearing the strings alone, it sounded like a piece of classical music that could stand by itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that and the instrumental version of golden slumbers, which appears on the uh, collection, the 50th anniversary collection sort of enhanced my appreciation of the, of those tracks themselves. My friend Celeste on Twitter had tweeted something that about the Golden Slumbers version, and she was basically saying that in all her years of listening to that track, she never fully appreciated just how, just just what the background instrumentation really was. And then when I listened to it, I agree. When you listen to this, the uh, the instruments that make up the background there, and I guess that's a it's piano and it's horns and strings. Does that seem right there? Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's so dramatic. And Golden Slumbers has always been kind of dramatic when he goes into the Golden Slumbers, fill your eyes. Like, that's always had an, 
sort of this dr- dramatic effect to it. But hearing the just the instrumental kind of is mind-bending. I, I never fully appreciated just the way the, the instruments went in the background, if that makes any yeah. sense. Well, I think that's the... Um, I mean, there's 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 probably so many other tracks that could have been included on this. Giles Martin decided to include the um, strings only, orchestra only versions of something and 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 um, and Golden Slumbers, and I think that was to give us all an appreciation for what George Martin was to the Beatles, right? And how um, George Martin benefited their music and their sound. And um, you kind of get to hear, I think, on those two tracks, um, and less evidently, but for me, the version of the long medley that's included. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to hear his contribution to the Beatles and, and what he brought to the table. And those, uh, those uh, string charts and horn charts on... Golden Slumbers and the string charts on, on something really give us a better appreciation of that because um, that's what he brought to those songs and they wouldn't, they wouldn't be the same without them. When you hear that run through of uh, the long medley that's on there, um, there's a couple of things that aren't present, um, which were production decisions that were made. Right. So I don't think if, if memory serves me correctly, you don't hear the, 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 the strings or the horns in the golden slumbers carry that weight section in that piece of it. I believe that's accurate. Yes. I don't think they're there. You hear, um, her majesty now in the middle of, right. Um, in the middle of the, the, the medley, um, bookended by mean Mr. Mustard and polythene Pam. Right. The transfer, the segue from you never give me your money into sun King. Mm -hmm. It's just this long organ note. It's just this long held organ note. Uh, because that was the only way they could figure out how to get from one to the other seamlessly because they're in two different keys and two different tempos. And how do you go from one to the other? They just found that long note to hold. Right. Um, and then you listen to it on the album and, you know, you hear that crossfade with the wind chimes and the crickets and, and um, it's one of my that, favorite moments on the album. Yeah, and that's not Paul um, and that's not John or any of the rest of them. That's George Martin figuring out how do we get from this to this. Right. You know, that organ note isn't really cutting it. Let's find out another way to do it and coming up with that way to segue it in. That's what he brought to them. You know, that's the role of the producer in making a record. Um, And it gives us a better appreciation for him and for what he did. And I think that's important. Um, I think that's kind of been missing from the releases so far. And I think Giles Martin wanted to, on this one, to give us a taste of that. Like, this is... This is what my father did for the Beatles, and this is what a producer does right. for a group. Uh, Dan, that's well said. It's it's very evident in this collection, uh, the role that George Martin played in putting something like the medley together. And you, you see the impact that he had on the group. You hear it. Uh, so I, I do agree with that. I remember years ago hearing on a bootleg an outtake of something, which I thought was awesome. It was the song, and then at the end there was this sort of, I'm going to guess guesstimated lasted about a minute to a minute 30 of this combination of piano drums guitar coming together to create this dramatic ending and i was kind of hoping that they would include it on this collection which they didn't yeah that that's the um the infamous uh instrumental coda version yes 
Um, so there's an instrumental coda that was recorded for something but never released. I think a lot of us were hoping that that would be released on this. Right. And it wasn't. Maybe uh, some sort of future release. We will see that. Who knows? You never know. Uh, Dan, before we go to my next question, in which we we just talk about our favorite tracks from Abbey Road in general, I wanted to share with you and our listeners some comments that I had received on Twitter. I had asked my uh, followers to comment on Abbey Road. I have many, many of my followers are big Beatles fans. And I asked them for some thoughts on the album and what the album means to them. And I thought now in the middle of our show would be a good chance to go over some of that stuff because I thought the responses were really great. Uh, let's begin with... When my friend on Twitter, <clears throat> Mrs. Coaster One, that's at, at Mrs. Coaster One on Twitter, she said that the video that the Beatles released for Here Comes the Sun in connection with this release was beautiful. She says it made me tear up. It was so beautifully done. And I agree with that. I thought it was a really nice video. I know some people weren't crazy about it, but to me, it sort of showcased the freedom of the song by the focus on the birds mm-hmm. flying. I thought I thought it was really great. So I, I do agree with that. Then my friend Tina, she said, and I love this, Here Comes the Sun is my favorite track on there, possibly my favorite Beatles song ever. She calls the the medley brilliant, which I agree with. She said it's the best ending of an album ever. And I think that's a very valid point. Uh, And of course, Her Majesty is a great coda, she says. Uh, She says Octopus's Garden is Ringo's best song. I agree with that. I definitely like his vocal on that more than uh, some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she says, this is interesting. Every song moves me in some way. Even the absurd Maxwell Silver Hammer makes me grin. And she says, I, she still wonders what Paul was thinking when he wrote that. She says the album is pure perfection, pure, excuse me, pure listening perfection from start to finish. And of course, she, she points out, you can't, she says, you can't get any better than, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. It's beautiful, she says. And that is uh, the other than Her Majesty, the final lyric on the album. Uh, so, and she went. She has so many great thoughts here. This is tremendous. Uh, I could relate to this too. On the track, You Never Give Me Your Money, Tina says that when she just got out of college and had no job, the lyrics of You Never Give Me Your Money really resonated and felt personal to me. That song made a huge connection with me. And it did for me too. When Paul sings, out of college, money spent, see no future, pay no rent, all the money's gone, nowhere to go. Unless you're... Um, one of the the 1% in this country, <laughs> everybody mm-hmm. can relate to the, those lyrics because that's a point in your life where you're struggling financially. Even Paul, despite his wealth and fame, could appreciate that. She also says, come together and something are two iconic songs. I agree. Uh, those are her thoughts. And then we uh, also heard from our friend Scott, who has been on the podcast before. He's a great friend, tremendous guy. And I'm going to share with you some of his thoughts. And he said something that I thought was great. Dan, I want your reaction to this. And I tell me if okay. you do this, okay? He says that Abbey Road is one of those albums that changes my mood instantly if, I, if he hears a track played on the radio. Instead of continuing on with the radio, he always goes and plays the next track on the album from his phone and continues from where that track on the radio left off. So, for example, if he's listening and... Uh, they're playing You Never Give Me Your Money and they go to another song. It's, you know, even though you would think they'd continue with Sun King. If they went to another song, he would then take out his phone and play Sun King and listen to the rest of the way through the album. In other words, mm-hmm. it's such a cohesive album that hearing just one track almost feels incomplete. What's your take on that? I also agree uh, to an extent without having to listen to the next song, uh, especially with um, the medley. Yes. I can't. 
um, listen to you never give me your money and that without it going through the rest of the, the rest yes. of the medley, um, because it's a very, co- it, it's very cohesive, um, that medley. And it, it has a, a unified theme to it. Um, despite the little other nuggets that are, that are dropped in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like you get the most power from it when you listen to it all the way through. Scott also said that Abbey Road to him is the greatest album of all time. Everything you can want in an album is on there from ballads to hard rockers, pop songs to deep tracks. He says it's the band at their best, the harmonies from Because, the gorgeous arrangement and lyrics of Something, which is Scott's favorite Beatles song. Incredible change in tone from McCartney on Oh Darling, and I agree with that 100%. His vocal range on Oh Darling shows why he is one of the greatest vocalists in rock and roll history. And the shared guitar solo on the end gives him goosebumps every time. Uh, He says that and this is interesting. He he says that other Beatles discussions he can go back and forth on. For example, is Rubber Soul better than Revolver? Is Help better than Hard Day's Night? Is Sgt. Pepper better than the White Album? And so many other debatable topics. But the two constants for Scott are something is his favorite Beatles song and Abbey Road, in his opinion, is their greatest album. And he, he then goes on to give detailed thoughts on the medley on Abbey Road. He says, you can debate which song kicks off the medley. Is it because you never give me your money or even Sun King? By Golden Slumbers, he's in tears, not only because it's a beautiful song, but because I know the end of the Beatles' career is just a few short minutes away. And by the final lyrics of the end, I am just amazed by how wonderful this band was. And I'm privileged that I'm able to enjoy their music. I don't think there's anything else for us to add. No, that's, um, yeah, that, that that's very well said. I also just want to take a moment, Dan, before we continue to give our listeners the Twitter handles of, of Scott and Tina to follow. As I mentioned earlier, we heard from uh, Mrs. Coaster, at Mrs. Coaster one on Twitter. Tina is at Empress E M P R E S S Tina T I N A. And at E P S C O T. And I got to tell you, you know, one of the great things about Twitter is that I've been able to meet people who have shared interests of mine, whether it be Disney or the Beatles and Tina, Scott, and uh, Mrs. Coaster, one whose name I actually don't know, but she's a good friend nonetheless. <laughs> I, uh, I'm so glad to have met them through Twitter. They really uh, enhance my enjoyment of being online and uh, make me a bigger Beatles fan and a big, bigger Disney fan. So I encourage all of our fo- listeners to follow them. They're awesome. And thank you for sending in your thoughts on Abbey Road. And, and Dan, let me ask you, talking about the album Abbey Road, give me some highlight tracks for you. Give me your three favorite tracks on the album. My three favorite tracks on the album. It's a hard, yeah, hard and, and let me let me preface that by saying you can break down the medley. So if there's a song on the medley that fits into that, you can cite that rather than just giving the medley as a whole. If that's what you choose. Okay, there's so many good tracks on Abbey Road. That's the problem. But if I had to pick three, um, I would have to go with something. Hmm. I want you. She's so heavy. Oh, okay. Golden slumbers to the end. That golden slumbers carry that weight. The end portion of the of the um, got it of the medley, um, and that's hard because I love here comes the sun. Um, I love come together. Um, I love you. Never give me your money. Mm-hmm. Um, she came in through the bathroom window. Is 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 like one of my favorite little moments there. Um, so it's hard to choose, but if I had to pick just three, that would probably be three. So uh, those are great answers. I would definitely agree with you on something. That's that's one of my favorite Beatles songs of all time. It may be my favorite. Sometimes sight here, there, and everywhere. I'm a, I'm a sucker for the love songs, 
and uh, something is one of the best represents George Harrison is at the height of his songwriting ability. I mean, he's just, un- it's unbelievable how he progressed as a songwriter. I would say, Oh Darling, which I've talked about a few times here tonight. I love that track. It's grown on me in recent years. I always liked it, but I still, it's, it's increased in stature for me personally. And then uh, I would cite Golden Slumbers, the song. I, I certainly uh, could take Golden Slumbers to the end. It's all great. I mean, it's not like, my, my leaving something out doesn't mean I don't like it. I love it all. But I just love the song Golden Slumbers. I find it emotional. And there's no right or wrong answer to any of this. You know, somebody come in and say the three favorite tracks are Maxwell, Silver Hammer, Because, and Polythene Pam. And you're like, okay, yeah, get it, I get it. Makes sense. Uh, Dan, a uh, couple more things I just want to talk about real quick. I have not read the book on the box set. Have you read the book? Um, p- pieces of it. Pieces one, of it. One thing I heard on another podcast is the book is a little bit easier to, to digest than, for example, from the White Album. Do you agree with that? Or, or? I do. Yeah, I do agree with that. And, and how so? I think it's it's the layout of it. Um, I feel is more is more friendly mm-hmm. um, to me. And I just I just find it more um, more accessible. Um, it kind of gets you into the emotion of it, right? Uh, the, you know what was what was going on and what they were doing, and um, breaks down the work um, in a way that's uh, interesting and pulls you in. So mm-hmm. yeah, from I, I I think it's better done than the White Album one. I have a song question to ask you though. So I don't know. Do you want is now a good time? Now's a good time. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So we talked about the songs that we three songs that we would choose of best songs on Abbey road, our favorite songs on Abbey road. I think we need to talk briefly about our feelings on Maxwell silver hammer, because it's the most notorious song on the album. Um, some have called it the song that broke up the Beatles. So, <laughs> uh, so just quick thoughts on Maxwell silver hammer. Dan, what I'm going to say may surprise you. Mm-hmm. But from the minute I first heard Maxwell Silverhammer many years ago, I liked the song. There's never been a point in my listening experience where I said, oh, I don't really like Maxwell Silverhammer. Uh, I find it catchy. Yes, it's cheesy. But I think he tells a great story. The lyrics in the song paint this picture of really, I guess, a a, a serial killer <laughs> in in Maxwell. And I just think it's a fascinating story to listen to. I love the way he paints the courtroom scene uh, with the judge. I, I just think it's a great track. I, When I think about the songs on Abbey Road that aren't my favorite tracks on the album, Maxwell Silverhammer never crosses my mind. I like it more than Octopus's Garden. I like it more than Pothing Pam, Mean Mr. Mustard. Uh, I like it more than Her Majesty. Uh, I like it more than I want you. She's so heavy, which I know is a very controversial statement. And I love those tracks. I could talk at length about how much I love those tracks, but I just think it's fun. It's I like his vocal on the track. I love the way he kind of laughs in the song as he's singing. So I'm a, I'm a fan of Maxwell Silverhammer, and I, I will stand by that. Uh, Dan, what are your thoughts on Maxwell Silverhammer? My thoughts on Maxwell Silverhammer. Um, I'm a lyrically. Um, I'm a big fan of, you know, going back old standards like the um, Rogers and Hart, um, Cole Porter um, songs and, and their way of handling lyrics with the internal rhyme within the lyric rather than end rhyme. You know, you have the the, the rhyme in the middle. Right. And I always loved how Paul manages to do that 
in uh, Maxwell Silverhammer. Um, Joan was quizzical, studied pataphysical science in the home. Right. Um, you've got that internal rhyme, and he had to make up, kind of make up pataphysical to get the rhyme, but it's there. And he does it throughout the track. Um, so I always kind of like the lyrics from to the song. I feel a butt um, coming on. <laughs> I always like the lyrics to the song. Um, always thought they were great, told a great story. Um, I always felt like there's a deeper message to it mm. about about life um, and how and I think that sometimes a lot of Paul's stuff gets a bad a bad rap um, as far as the stuff as far as the stuff that seems to be a little bit lighter and cheesier and you know again what what uh, John referred to as Paul's granny crap mm. uh, but I think he was going for something there and I get this message of you know, sometimes in life when we feel like everything's going right and we are kind of, you know, floating along in our little cloud, something comes and it knocks us off our, our pedestal or knocks us off our game and something unexpected that kind of brings us down and that we have to deal with. And that's, that's Maxwell Silverhammer. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes Maxwell Silverhammer comes and hits you on your head and, and, and kind of, destroys that happy mood yeah so the music that bright cheery music is kind of lulling you into this false sense of security and um uh kind of distracting you from this darker theme that sometimes you know life has surprises for us that we're not ready for and i think that's what paul was going was happening to paul you know he was dealing with the end of the possible end of this group that he'd been in and it didn't seem to be something that they, they would have expected. So yeah, yeah, I, it's I, his little message to us about that. You know, Dan, it's great talking to you about this because I never thought of that interpretation of the track before. Now that you mentioned it, it makes tremendous sense. So, so, so like, would you say you like the track? I do like the track. It's not one of my favorites on the album, but I like the track. I don't think it deserves all the, the bad press that it gets. I think the reason why it got such bad press among the group was because Paul thought it could be a hit and he made them play it. Yeah over and over again. This is a track that goes back to the Let It Be sessions. Right. Um, so he made them kind of wear, he wore it out with them. And, you know, it doesn't matter how good a piece of, of music is or how good something is. If you're made to do it over and over again, you're going to get to a point where you're like, I hate this and I never want to hear it again. And it's a piece of, piece of crap kind of thing. So I think that's where that comes from with them. But Which leads me to a question for you, Dan. What is your least favorite song on Abbey Road? That's like about it's difficult as uh as saying what's your favorite yeah because there's not really a bad track if i had to pick a least favorite track um it would probably be her majesty just because mm. it's you know it's short and it's kind of a it's it's literally a throwaway because it wasn't supposed to be there uh dan as we're talking about this a thought just occurred to me i would have preferred if abbey road ended on end in the end the love you take is equal to the love you make and that's it mm-hmm I, I could actually see a scenario in which Her Majesty, just here, go with me here, is the opening track on the album. Okay? But you gotta have Bell the Phone, Her Majesty Pernesco, today I'm gonna make her mine, oh yes, today I'm gonna make her mine, dun. and then, dun, 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 come together kicks in. Does that, is that, am I crazy there? Or can you see that? I think you're, I think you're, you're, um, I think you're kind of going into, I think what makes you feel that is McCartney one. I think you're thinking like her majesty as lovely Linda. 
like you put it on the front and it's this little <laughs> yeah, like it's, yeah it's like a like, lovely linda and then you go into the actual meat of the album so it could work i guess paul did that later maybe that's where he got the idea he's like oh i have this little throwaway i'll pack it to the front rather than the back and it'll be a little opening to the album but i think the worked. better explanation is that the yankees loss has made me a complete idiot <laughs> <laughs> If the Yankees, if the Yankees are playing in Game Seven right now, and somebody said, "Hey Scott, do you think Her Majesty would, should be the opening track on Abbey Road?" I would say, "Get out of my room! You know, leave me alone." <laughs> what are you, what are you talking about? Well, you know, there were cassettes out, and actually, the first, uh, you know, back in the day when you had cassettes, and the right. first um, version of Abbey Road I ever heard was a cassette that I got because our me too, favorite. yeah, yeah, and um, the cassette I had. Wait, wait, wait! Don't what, say it! Don't say it! I'm going to try to remember what the first song was. Okay, here comes the sun. Right. Yes. Because that I had the first song on the album was Here Comes the Sun. Right. And it flipped. I don't think it flipped the two sides. It just flipped the two. Yes. I think the first track on side two was Come Together. Right. So it just flipped the, the opening track. So, um, yeah, there's there's a different version of Abbey Road out, the, out there where on cassette where Here Comes the Sun is the first track on the album. But, I need a remix of the cassette tape version. A remix of the cassette <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's just great. So, Dan, the last question I wanted to talk to you about related to Abbey Road deals with the album's cover. It, the cover of the album is certainly one of the most iconic covers in rock and roll history. Uh, many people think that it ranks up there with covers like Dark Side of the Mood and Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. I remember being in college and seeing in many people's dorm rooms the cover of Abbey Road. Uh, it's a great cover. I don't think either of us would disagree with that. Uh, but the Beatles had... Great album covers from their first release, Please Please Me, all the way through to Abbey Road and Let It Be. So I just wanted to conclude our Abbey Road discussion tonight by asking you a general Beatles question, which is out of all of the group's albums, which cover is your favorite? Abbey Road is up there. Yeah. I think it's because it's 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 simple. Um, and I think for me, um, and, and people would probably um, be baffled or and you know, think it's it's um, blasphemous to say this over Pepper and other album covers, but um, I think there's something about the Beatles album covers where the the more simple simple ones are the ones that I think stand out more for me. So, mm-hmm. if I had to rank my top ones, uh, pull three, it would be um, Abbey Road, um, Rubber Soul, and with the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's something about all three of those that um, I think says it all without saying too much kind of thing right. for the, for the record right. and, um, and are iconic. And um, so I'd, I'd have to say Abbey Road ranks up pretty close. Yeah. It's a great cover. There's no denying it. Uh, I think that for me, I agree with you. For, personally speaking, simplicity is better for me. And my favorite I think is with the Beatles. Mm-hmm. I just love the way, I guess the cover was shot by the photographer, Robert Freeman. Mm-hmm. And I just love the way each of the band's uh, faces is sort of half shadows, half non-shadowed. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a Paul McCartney autograph in my office here. And out of all the album covers I chose to put in a nice framing package, uh, I chose the With the Beatles album cover to accompany mm-hmm. it. So I guess that for me is my number one album. Um, in terms of cover, in terms of the cover. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. Abbey Road also fits into that. And certainly when you've been to the real Abbey Road, and even though the zebra crossing is not in the location it was when the Beatles crossed there, if I'm correct about that, uh, there's something that's simplistic and 
I was going to use the word comforting about the photo, but it's sort of the way it should be for the yeah. band's last major group effort to be just at the studio, crossing the street in front. It, it's it's classic. It's a great album cover. Timeless. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and all because they didn't want to go further than just right outside the studio. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, so uh, I don't know if um, many listeners are aware, but there was many, many um, titles that were kicked around for mm-hmm. Abbey Road, and, and one of the top contenders was Everest. Right. And um, I think that was in pretty high contention to be the title of the album um, until someone suggested that the, uh, you know, the Beatles fly to uh, Nepal and, um, you know, take the picture for the album cover on top of a, uh, of a mountain um, in the snow. And uh, all they were really willing to do was walk outside and take the picture outside the studio. <laughs> so right. that's how we got Abbey Road. And um, I think that was a great decision. That's um, like if people tell me, oh, you should go to uh, Mount Everest on vacation. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll take Epcot. <laughs> Just yeah, fly two hours, Epcot. you know what I mean? It's- yeah, I'll go. Uh, I'll do Expedition Everest and then I'm good. <laughs> uh, but if you think about it, that's like, you know, um, one of two iconic Beatles moments that um, happened because of, of, for lack of a better term, laziness. You know, um, they were kicking around, and I'm sure we'll talk about this when we do uh, when the when we do a, a show about the Let It Be uh, box set. But they were kicking around ideas for where that live performance was going to be, and let's right. do it at the Roundhouse, and let's right. do it uh, at a Roman amphitheater, let's do it on a boat, and um, you know, all we're will- all we're willing to do is go up on the roof. Let's right. Just go up on the roof, and and it worked. Yeah. And it worked. And that rooftop concert is iconic. So yeah, um, sometimes being lazy isn't a bad thing. Dan, my friend, as always, it is an honor and a joy to speak with you on the Stuff We Love podcast about things related to the Beatles. And we're going to have a lot of stuff coming out. We're as mm-hmm. we've mentioned to our listeners before, we are at some point going to get into the post Beatles years. I suspect we're going to have more of these box set releases. And looking ahead to November 22nd of this year, the Beatles just announced they're releasing a vinyl box set of the group singles, uh, which has gone on sale on various websites already and is already a top seller on Amazon. So I think uh, we'll be talking about that in the near future too. So always good stuff. And for our listeners... that if you have anything to add, feel free to write to us, stuffwelovepodcast at gmail.com and share with us your thoughts on Abbey Road. And again, we appreciate the listeners that wrote in on Twitter to let us know how the album affected them. Uh, so Dan, we're going to turn now to the Stuff We Love segment, which is the part of the show where tonight you and I will give our listeners a recommendation. Could be anything we're enjoying right now. Could be a book, an album, not Abbey Road. We've already spent... We've already talked about <laughs> this, that. This is really a whole Stuff We Love episode. A podcast, a whatever it may be that we recommend to our listeners. And uh, Dan, I'm going to start off with you. What is something that you can recommend on the stuff we love segment? So um, I'm a fan of a lot of music as, as, as you know, and um, one of my big groups um, aside from the Beatles is the who Um, always love the who. And I just watched a really great documentary on the making of Quadrophenia. um, Listeners aren't familiar. Quadrophenia is the, uh, the second, rock opera that the who created that pete townsend wrote um behind tommy um it's not as well known as uh, as the tommy album is but i think um just as good if not better in some areas and um, the documentary is about the making of the album 
and goes into um, not only uh, Pete Townsend writing the album and how he came up with each of the songs and what the songs meant um, or, and, and how they were, um, what influenced them, but also um, how the group went about recording the album and what was going on in the group at the time. Um, and kind of talking about uh, Quadrophenia as the last really st strong, meaningful album that The Who created um, as The Who. And um, there's a great part at the end where Pete Townsend reads a, a, a letter that he wrote to the management where he basically resigns from the mm. band. Um, and the whole part of the <laughs> point of the letter is basically, you know, in making this record, um, I realized that um, I can no longer, I have no desire to uh, work on another project with The Who. And um, basically I'm walking away and I'm, I'm done with the group. And um, reads the letter and then reveals that he never sent it. He never sent it in. And um, it's, a, it's a powerful moment. It's interesting. Um, but it's a great documentary. If you're a fan of The Who, if you're a fan of the album, or you're just a fan of uh, rock, classic rock music, um, it's great to check out. Uh, Dan, what's the name of the documentary? Um, it's The Who's Quadrophenia. And where, where did you see it? Um, I saw it on Quello. Oh, yes. The streaming um, so, yeah. Music so it's service. on the, the streaming music service. Great. So uh, if you have Quello, it's a great place to look, look for it. I think it might also be on... Um, on iTunes as well. I'll double check that though. Tremendous. Thank you, Dan, for that great recommendation. Mm -hmm. uh, my recommendation deals with a, it's for a podcast. It's called the What's on Disney Plus podcast. So tonight as we record, we're just a few weeks away from the release of Disney Plus, the Disney streaming service. Uh, there is so much hype and expectation for this. I am <clears> extremely <throat> excited. And this podcast is literally devoted to what's going to be on the Disney Plus streaming service. And for those that have followed along with what Disney has announced, there is a tremendous amount of, of content that's going to be available from day one, not just on the original programming front, where you're going to have shows like The Mandalorian, the Star Wars series, a six-hour documentary about uh, Disney's Imagineering division, and a Lady and the Tramp live-action version. But there's tons of archival content that's going to be on there, and a lot that is not going to be on there at launch. So we got a lot of, a lot of stuff going on there with Disney+. Plus, and this podcast sort of sorts through it and gives their analysis on what's coming out, what, they're what the hosts are particularly looking forward to, and more. So it's something to listen to if you're uh, getting hyped up for the Disney Plus streaming service, which, Dan, I know you and I both are. We've talked about that on the air before. I think it's going to be an amazing addition to the content of streaming services out there and between Netflix and Hulu and... Disney Plus, along with everything else, there's not a lot of free time left in the day. Yeah, yeah. I already signed up for my uh, subscription, so I'm good yes. to go. Awesome. I can't wait yeah. to – you know what? When it comes out, Dan, uh, I'd love for you to come on the show once we've had a, a couple of weeks to sort of sit through with it and explore it, and we'll share our thoughts on it. That would be yeah, great. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, to wrap up tonight's episode, I want to begin – by thanking all of you very much for tuning into this uh, discussion tonight related to the Abbey Road 50th anniversary box set. You can follow the Stuff We Love podcast on Insta on Instagram at Stuff We Love Podcast. We're on Twitter at Stuff We Love Pod. We have a Facebook page, which we'd encourage you to go and like. Our website is www.stuffwelovepodcast.com. You can learn about the hosts, can view links to products we recommend, and more. We also have a blog that's available on the website where there's a lot of content 
Beatles-related, Disney-related, Star Wars-related, and more. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, you can write in at stuffwelovepodcast at gmail.com. And please leave us those good five-star reviews on iTunes, which make it easier for others to find the show as well. So thank you again for tuning in. I am Scott. I'm Dan. And you have been listening to the Stuff We Love Podcast.